Welcome to the Noble Warrior Podcast. I'm your host, CK Lin, former tech executive turned entrepreneur. This podcast is about purpose and what other people have already figured out. My intention is that you use these lessons and insights to have more impact, more prosperity, and more joy in life and business. And maybe one day, you even join our tribe. My next guest is an author, is a course creator, is an entrepreneur in the technology and the publishing space. The startups that he has co-founded are now valued at $150 million plus. He has taught over 2,000 entrepreneurs, part of being Founders Institute and beyond. If you are interested in hearing more about this man, go to autvisor.com, A-U-D-V-I-S-O-R.com. Welcome, Rajesh Sethi. Thank you so much, CK. I'm so excited to have this conversation. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad to have this conversation with you, Rajesh. You know, um, our mutual friend, uh, Esprit, yes. introduced us. He said, hey, both of you are entrepreneurs. Both of you are working in the mental health space. You should meet yes. each other. And I'm so glad you made that introduction to us. The Many number one thing... Very good. The, the number one thing I wanted to uh, talk to you right away is, is this. I was looking at all of the works that you've done in the past. Hmm. You know, the volume and also the diversity of interest was quite impressive. Now, yeah. personally, I have no fear of learning. I, can, I, I know that I'm an infinite learner. I can learn anything. But it seems to me that you have no fear of publishing. <laughs> So you can, you know, you've published a lot of, you know, mystery novels, yes. <laughs> comedy shows, yes. uh, thank you cards. Yes. It doesn't matter what it is. You, 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 you're a creator, you know, at heart. So yeah. tell us about your relationship to, to fear. Because a lot of people, they may want to make a lot of things, but yeah. they want to stay in their lane, right? And for you, that lane doesn't exist. You. Yeah. <laughs> So tell us more about that. See, the thing is, when I was very young, I started reading when I was about four or five years old. But then I don't come from a well-off family, right? So I used to go to the library. And then I would say, this month, I'm going to read this section. It didn't matter what the section was. But unfortunately, my mom says that I picked the novels section. <laughs> so basically, <laughs> I started reading any and all novels, any kind. Whatever, like English or Canada uh, or uh, anyone, it didn't, it didn't matter. So I read about 700 books by the time I was nine. So, and if you ask my mom, she will tell most of them, almost all of them are useless books. But what happened was when you do that, you almost think that you can, you can predict how the story will evolve. So I used to play a game. Ah, this one, I know where the treasure is. Or this one, who is the, you know, who is the mystery killer? I would play the game, but I would fail. It would bother me a lot. And I tried to tell my friends that, you know, this story is not right because this should have happened this way and they would laugh. Why do you bother? Just enjoy the story. But for me, it was, I was not satisfied by just, I wanted to predict this is exactly what happens. Then I thought, you know, when I was about 10 years old, I said, if I write my own novel, what I can make the characters do whatever I want. And so I wrote a whole novel, 200 pages in about eight months. The madness actually began after that. Because I said, oh, anyway, how many 10-year-old will publish, write, write a novel? When I call a publisher, they'll put a red carpet welcome. So I think I should be published in about three months. 
that's how much uh, naive and immature i was so i did call the publishers but no red carpet was put but they would bang the phone slam the phone down and say well, most people thought i was a prankster so uh, after about 50 rejections i thought hmm this is not working because i think until that time i thought they were all wrong then i thought i am wrong but then i didn't want to be wrong so i said okay let me i don't i need help so i started writing to other authors saying this is what i am stuck can you please help me but writing means there is no email at that time you know so i had to write physical letters most of them never got a response one or two of them said wish you all the best don't give up all those things uh, but so on steadily uh, I, i continued to at some point i said okay maybe everybody gets rejected 300 times i am still not even halfway there i keep going so after about 160 rejection 3 and a half years later at 13 and a half i got my first novel published and i was the youngest writer of my state so actually that is not where i learned everything so because uh, in in my mind i thought hey somebody will publish it and they last me is this the only book i have written so i had written four more novels so wait, wait wait before before you go further yeah i mean let's just zoom in to that to that moment that that yes. that between 10 year old to however long they take to yeah. be to publish i mean that to me is courage that to me is fearlessness yeah. or was it just naivete you just didn't know cuz most kids they may dream about being an author one day right yeah. and then the schooling the parenting tell them oh you, you need to do all these preparation yeah but you just skipped the line you said i want to do it so i did it and even though people were laughing at you i yeah. uh, thought you were pranking them you kept yes. going anyway so so tell us more on is this fearlessness is it courage is it inform you know decision like yeah bring us back to that to to those years that's a really good question because whenever i faced fear or uh, feeling bad i would create more i said you know what i don't know how to deal with fear so i'll just create more i kept writing new novel new something because then when it is there the uncertainty that comes with my own creation is sort of not very bad uncertainty that comes from somebody else involving in it is not very good because no, wait wait say that sentence one more time see whenever i am creating how much ever is incomplete let's say i am halfway through the novel mm-hmm. i am very confident of completing it but i am only dependent on myself isn't it so I, whenever i am not dependent on dependent on myself it's not very bad it's incomplete but it's i can deal with it whenever somebody else is somebody else to bless this book and say i'll publish it i don't have any control on whenever i face too much of i don't have any control on i'll switch back to place where i have some control on so that way i'm always good because then there is incomplete and i can focus so 70 rejections 80 rejections i say i don't have any control on it so i'll switch back to place where i have some control on it even here mm. something might go wrong but i say you know i am responsible it's me my motivation my work ethic my thinking so in the process of getting rejected i got four more books uh, written so i have five novels I was, yeah. at some point in time i would say i have written a novel i would say i have written three novels say, is this crazy guy or uh, is it real so basically when the uh, when it was finally published i still remember that exact moment so i somehow got an introduction to the publisher through one of the authors and then i i took it it's a physical a handwritten manuscript they don't have typewriter or anything so i gave it to him and he said oh yeah and, uh, prakash told me prakash is a well known author in in karnataka he told me so he said you are coming let me take a look and i'll get back to you 
and then he turned around and then he started doing something and again he started reading the book right there he was not looking at me so i didn't know whether he asked me to leave or i stay so i stayed after 3 hours he looked around and he said hey you are still here i said yeah because i thought you will get back to me so i'm waiting <laughs> so he said oh god probably he got sympathetic of me or something he said you know what this is a good book how much do you want i said that was a question i was not ready because uh-huh. I, i didn't know i was only used to getting this no 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 i'm so used to it I, i was almost getting ready to leave thinking this will be another no how much do i want hmm. i don't know 100 rupees i told him it's like 1 dollar <laughs> inset something like that are you sure he said yeah i want 100 rupees he picked up a note 100 rupee note and gave it, gave it to me <laughs> and i did so it was i mean i don't say it's good or bad for me it was a milestone so mm. what happened then was what changed my life about everything that i am doing now has a major influence in the next 4 years i thought this will be the milestone moment my life will change what happened next was even bigger so oh, wait, wait, wait. so so be- before you go there i wanted yes. to underline something that you said i thought yes. that was really interesting cuz most people when they being told no the motivation goes down yeah right they go home they you know eat eat, eat some junk food <laughs> sleep it off whatever the thing right they they basically go back to their corner yes. and then you know but then not you because you said uh i i'm in control of my life when i'm being told no i'm going to go create more as a way to come yeah. out of that so during the phase of rejection you wrote three other books yeah. as a result that is a very unique reframe of yeah. dealing with rejection exactly because when people get rejected they think it's all encompassing that means they were rejected everywhere and uh, everything is no no they were just rejected on that project for that by that particular person in that current current context in that situation it's a very very small thing people never rejected somebody nobody will say you are not good everywhere all the time forever <laughs> in your life no they never said this book is not worthy enough for me to consider printing that's a specific context in a particular time in life mm-hmm. at that point in time point in time it's a rejection it's okay i mean in fact i always think imagine when i first pitched and exactly the very first publisher published it i would it, there is no thrill in it there is no growth resist growth comes with resistance mm-hmm. all the time even in in your physical bodybuilding or mm-hmm. anywhere without mm-hmm. resistance there is no growth once you understand it you welcome resistance otherwise what's the point mm-hmm. there is no growth and everything happens exactly the way you want to happen mm-hmm. it's, it's just, boring it's like boring Yeah. Exactly. So mm. the thrill is in uh, the overcoming the resistance because you know that by overcoming the resistance is where the magic of growth happens. Mm. I I I love this mindset and cuz we're in this mental wellness, mental fitness space. Hey everyone, I just want to take a quick break to ask for your support. As you know, I don't run any ads or sell anything on this podcast. The only way I can continue to bring you inspiring stories and ideas is if you help me spread the word. By rating, reviewing, and sharing this podcast, you can help even more entrepreneurs and leaders to discover, express, and amplify their purpose. You can help them have a better relationship with themselves. Trust their intuition. 
and pursue things that bring them more aliveness in life and in business. It only takes you a few seconds to leave a review and it means the world to me. But more importantly, it could change someone's life. So if you have a moment, please rate and review this podcast and share with your friends and colleagues. Thanks for your support. Now back to the episode. Yes. And um, um, let's see, how do I articulate this? It's, it's, it's very easy for a single setback to determine the totality worthiness of a human being. I've been in that space myself, right? Let's say my business fail, I fail as a human. And, and it's very easy. If we believe that mentality, mm -hmm. then that would take us down to a very, very dark path. You know, my relationship fail, I fail as a human. My whatever fail, my, my health fail, you know, I, I fail as a human. That's a very, very dark space. So I really love the frame that, hey, it's a particular context, a particular project. They say no to this, but then the infinite other doors are totally still open. So therefore, focus your attention on those things. 100%. In fact, the uh, scriptures in Bhagavad Gita, they say very simple. Attach yourself to the effort, but be fully fully committed to it. Detach yourself from the result. Because mm -hmm. once you detach from the result, because I think getting published is the result that I'm attached to. But if once I detach itself, and who knows, there may be something else bigger than this because I'm on this path. You never know because sometimes you reach a destination by accident because you took a detour and said, oh God, I took a detour, I'm not happy. And the new place you reach is 10x better than the original destination because you don't know everything and you don't know what you don't know. So mm -hmm. it's, it's always going to be there. You don't know mm -hmm. how much you don't know. And in that space where you don't know, you don't know, magic can be there. So if mm -hmm. you have to be open to experiencing magic, and it is very rare that you experience magic in the you know, you know space. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no surprise there. That's right. That's right. If you work on what you know that you know, at yeah. best is incremental improvement. Exactly. For those people and in those who are watching Noble Warrior, I trust that you're one of those people who are interested in transformative change, exponential change. So, so that would, in my mind, would only happen at the edge of what you know that you know, and in, in often, in fact, in the area that you don't know that you don't know, in the blind spot area. So that's where I see transformational changes happen. Absolutely right. Because when you were when you were a kid, no. So the, what you were learning was very sandbox within a sandbox. There are six topics, six subjects. You finish exam, and all of the students are. Uh, like sort of evaluated with the same rubric that is common and simple. Like if you get 100 out of 100, you must be on the top. You come to life, there's no rubric because how you succeed is completely up to you, your own definition. The rubric is created by you. And I cannot argue what your definition of success is. And we both cannot argue what other people's definition of success is because they are evaluated by their own standards. So, which means for us we have to be so uh, thoughtful when we're helping other people that we can never say, these are the seven rules of success. But who, who which standard? <laughs> because they may be thinking something else completely and yeah. those seven rules may derail them from yeah. going somewhere. 
right? Yeah. So I became very conscious. I learned this, and what happened next was I came from a town called Kurk, which is a uh, which is a hill station in Karnataka. There were only two newspapers, one morning and one evening. So somebody in the evening newspaper, he 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 found out that I was published. I was thirteen, and he came to our home, and he said, "Hey, do you want to work for us?" So you can come and write some articles. In my engage, you are always like you think anything is possible. I thought if I can write five novels, article, I'll just it's easy. Like, easy. It's like eight hundred words. Come on, give me a mm-hmm. break. Yeah. Little did I know that it is not easy to write a shorter article compared to a big novel because novel you have all the space. You people expect that there will be some fluff and all those things. It's only a daily newspaper. You catch their attention or you don't. That's it. In the first paragraph, they will decide whether to read the next or not. So, first uh, uh, for four years, I worked for that newspaper. First six months, none of my articles got published. Why? Because I th- and they would tell me because I was a kid, no. So they would tell me, oh, we ran out of space. But you should rewrite it. I thought they really ran out of space, so I would rewrite everything. How is this? Oh, this would have worked, but you know it's already published. Tomorrow we'll try another spot. Because it's a daily newspaper, you cannot publish yesterday's news tomorrow. It has to be daily. So when after six months, when I got my first article published, the chief deputy editor, who was my like a mentor, he said, you know, this uh, we never ran out of space, but your article sucked, man. So it's really bad. I said, wow, what happened? He said. That's when he told me the elements of storytelling. Mm. How do you look at the same thing? A good person will see more color. That means more high, higher fidelity. They'll observe things more than what other people observe. They'll read between lines. They'll not just be a, a bystander who will say what's happening in this report. Nobody wants that. They want some insight. Mm-hmm. So at 14, 15, I was getting this kind of thing. So I became a very good listener, not just listen to what what's, what is said and what is not said, everything. So that that art of keeping people's attention uh, and saying things that will make people want to engage more, I didn't know it was a really amazing skill at that time. I only wanted my articles to be published. So mm. for that, I had to learn this skill. I learned it, not because it is a gift that the person is giving for life. Mm. Wow, what a gift. Yes. Uh, You had said in one of your videos or interviews, you said during this time at 13, you became a daily newspaper article writer and you got to hone the skill of rapid storytelling. Yes. As you have alluded to earlier, you learn how to listen, you know how to um, keep people's attention, you learn how to deliver insights because ultimately that's the payoff of people reading the newspaper article. So how do you think that prepare you to the social media world today? Short form, you know, storytelling, a minute or less, 90 seconds, what you got, you know, how do you, can you, can you draw as a line yeah. on how you take that skill now to um, the social media, you know, economy that we have today? See, the on social media is a double-edged sword. Many people, many times people think that getting attention on social media is important. There is clickbaity articles, there is things that make them look smart, they'll share a code that is really exciting. But I always think, to do what? So basically, I really don't, every social media amount of time I spend is extremely small, because I'm 
I am all about building relationships. Whatever it takes to build a relationship is only that much. I don't need scale because you, you don't have enough projects for me to have one million people needing uh, just reading something. I'm only interested in if I need to reach someone, is there an angle where I can just knock on the door through social media so that mm. let's say, but then I'll build the relationship offline because offline is where you get, get and give specific personalized deep engagement and uh, that kind of help. Social mm. media, it's never going to be, uh, for me at least, for the work that I do, I don't need the followers as much as I need um, relationship depth. Mm. So I always think that it's easy to start a relationship on social media, and maybe I'm very old school, but in real life, the relationships are still built on a handshake and then one-on-one, -on -one, not on social media. The depth of relationship, maybe somebody else has cracked it, but for me, I still like old school relationship building. So it's easy to get attention on social media or anywhere. The one skill that people have to learn is to do a pattern interrupt. So because if you don't do a pattern interrupt, there is no surprise. Like yeah. I, not all surprises are good. Bad surprises, there are bad surprises. Any negative news is a surprise, but it's bad. So nobody likes that kind of surprise. A surprise that lifts them up is what people like. Mm. So I'm always thinking, how do I get people's attention? I have chosen the linguistic part. So I make up my own phrases. So that way, if I say something about, let's say partnership. So if I want to say something about partner, you need to build strong partnerships. It's difficult to get attention because Everybody thinks they know what strong partnership means. Mm -hmm. They may be wrong, but mm -hmm. I can't tell them, hey, I'm going to tell you about strong partnerships. What you know may be wrong and I'll be hated twice. Mm -hmm. So first of all, for interrupting them. And second, who are you to tell me I'm wrong? <laughs> so they get defenses up. Mm -hmm. But if I say something like this, you know, one of the core elements of a strong partnership is to have hunger alignment. Mm -hmm. And I stop there. Now I opened up a loop. They don't know what is hunger alignment. And hunger and alignment doesn't go together, isn't it? What's mm. hunger alignment? Now they have to read the next sentence to know what I think is hunger alignment. Mm. They may not agree, but it's a phrase I made up. So I'm, I'll choose to have the meaning that I want to give. But at least I got them, uh, got their attention. So but I have a question there. I have a, I have yeah. a quick question there. If so, yes, we want to say something that's novel, that's unique to draw attention. But I, I have also found that when it's totally outside of the realm of reality, then they dismiss it right away because it's not relevant to them. So there's a sweet spot of being a little bit outside, but not so much outside. Is that an accurate reflection of what you're describing? Yeah, I was going there and you, you, you did the pattern interrupt, which is good. So basically, <laughs> <laughs> basically I'm glad you did it. <laughs> yeah. So you, you look at it this way. You can, uh, you can engineer words to get attention. But if you get their attention and don't give them something relevant and valuable, you lose their mindset forever. Because that's why clickbaits, they go there and this and it's something else. What do they think? They don't think, ah, I should not have clicked on it. They'll go and say, who is this person who gave this clickbait? 
they'll put they'll give you negative points for you as a person so next time they are not touched by a clickbait because and very soon you do it twice they just remove you from their list so first of all you need to have something valuable and relevant and timely or else no other tricks will work so only when you have something of substance you can do some magic if you don't have something of substance then why do magic why try all this linguistic acrobatics you just work on it until it be, it substance substance is really good yeah i love it so okay so let's drill in on that a little bit because you you've been honing the skill of coining your own phrase for other thought leaders who may want to do that there i mean i'm looking at you right because you're coming up with these terminologies like it's nothing so how do i go from someone who don't really coin their own phrases to someone who is you know can coin their phrases you know whenever they want what are the yeah. skills you know to necessary to 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 get there so what you are asking is how do i become a, a pattern interrupting machine so yeah good so that's, that's a good that's, one yes uh-huh. <laughs> that's a new one we just created yeah i love so, it yeah basically what happens is almost everything in life before you gain mastery you become a connoisseur or observer of stuff so where does where does this skill being exhibited everywhere i'll pick one area in stand up comedy they do it again and again and again really good stand up comics they always interrupt patterns you are think oh, they are going there they'll go somewhere else mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. rather than look uh, uh, watching them for enjoyment you watch them for enrichment of course you do it once you watch it for enjoyment second round you watch it for enrichment mm-hmm. what this person could have done while preparing for this stand up comic routine how would he have thought or she thought what is their what is the way they prepare you will be amazed at how much the first version of that will be almost garbage because they don't start where where they end mm-hmm. but the fact is they keep changing changing say i talked to many, many several of them if you look at their first version it will be like i don't know whether you have knowledge of stand up comedy my knowledge is not that good i would have written i would have written better that's how i think but they don't stop there they'll make 16 17 revisions and that's the kind of thing we need for our space let's say i'm around in the entrepreneurship uh, growth space mm. i just apply the st- the practice of the stand up comics into my space like i write once and then i keep changing 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 until when i deliver it it looks like a flawless mm. why because i practiced it like a thousand times so then it's easy So okay so on that note number one, I'm curious to know who is your favorite stand up comic that's one two the stand up comic uh comic uh life cycle is this right they have their set and they go to a local comedy club and they do it night after night so that's every iteration every time they step on stage to deliver their set and and once they have honed their material enough and they may sell it to Netflix as an example right that's mm-hmm. or play it at a stadium or something like that so so that's a in my my uh simple life cycle of you know a stand up comic how do we do that right as a as a thought leader as a, as a teacher 
um, what kind of sets or what iterations can we make? Beautiful. So I'll, uh, if I remember, I mean, stand-up comic or sitcom, I really like uh, two shows. One is The Big Bang Theory and uh -huh. the other is uh, like uh, Jerry Seinfeld when no, it's not uh -huh. there, Seinfeld. Uh -huh. I like Seinfeld because he can make a routine about nothing. That was one of the yes. routines. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. I, I, was, I watched it so many, just that one, I watched it so many times. What could he have done to write this play? Okay, it's a show about nothing. And then I would have said stop there because it's about nothing. But they didn't. They went on and on about nothing forever. Mm -hmm. So that requires a lot of skill. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I watched it the first time thinking, if this show is about nothing, it'll end in five minutes. It didn't. It took the entire half an hour. So if somebody can catch somebody's attention on nothing, that mm -hmm. guy must be a genius. Mm -hmm. right? So now I say, I have something so valuable. It's not better than nothing for sure. <laughs> I should be able to do something about this something. It's definitely better than something, uh, more than something about nothing. So mm. that's how I get the motivation. Whenever mm. I'm, if I ever are low on motivation, I just think, hey, Seinfeld wrote, wrote a skit about nothing. So come on. I yeah, he, he made a whole billion dollar empire on nothing. <laughs> yes. So it is, it's unbelievable. Because mm. if you think about it, story is everything. Mm. Mm -hmm. So if, if story is not everything, think about why would somebody pay $50,000 for a wristwatch? Mm -hmm. it's impossible, isn't it? So mm -hmm. somebody has to tell such a great story mm -hmm. that almost make this watch a status signaling device mm -hmm. rather than something to look at uh, the the <laughs> time, so mm -hmm. I mean, you, so then I studied all the stories of people. What will Rolex say? You will be amazed. Like there is a tag here. What will it say? It says you can find accurate time at uh, sixty feet below the, the water. Mm -hmm. Come on, how many people will <laughs> go to the, under the water and? <laughs> Oh my God, what is the exact time? I want to know. Oh, yeah, right. Oh, Good. It is great. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, and is it split second? Yes, correct. Uh -huh. I can't even breathe because it's underwater. <laughs> so, yeah. and then Patek Philip, it says, please pass this on to the next generation. It's a gift you are giving. I mean, come on. If I want to pass to the next generation, I'll give them a home or uh, some plot, something like, I don't need to give a watch, but they make it look like this is it. And mm -hmm. any celebrity, they say, okay, this Richard Branson will use this. He can use whatever he wants, he's a billionaire. Why should I buy a watch? Because Richard Branson is using it. But the story that is told makes you think that that's the right decision. So I always tell people, if you want to learn storytelling, become a story observer. We're mm. all being, they are being seduced to overpay. It has to be a story because otherwise, why will anybody pay more than what is required to be told? Because mm. the story they tell them, it is worth it. Yeah, uh, definitely. Let's come back on the storytelling because I think storytelling is not only important about selling a product. Storytelling is also important about the story we tell ourselves. 
which is about mental health. I mean, to me, yeah. that's what it is, right? It's the story that we tell ourselves that no one can hear. And also storytelling is also super important for the continuation of generational wisdom, right? What's my family stands for? What's the legacy of who I am or this family name or this culture or this nation or this people, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, so story can zoom in to the super micro to can zoom out to the super macro. We'll come back to that in a bit, but yeah. coming back to honing our skills to interrupt, to, to be this pattern interrupt machine, uh, stand up comic, they stand up, stand up on stage night after night to hone their, uh, routine. What can we do as thought leaders as a way to, what, what are the sets that we could have and what are the yeah. stages that we can get on to hone our, um, our, our, our routines. So everything that people view, whenever, whatever you say, the pe people view it, we give the weightage depending on the accomplishment that, that you have outside of that story, isn't it? Because basically, who say, if, you say, if I say something really cool, let's say I, I said something like this. Yesterday, I was clever, so I wanted to change the world. Today, I'm wise, so I want to change myself. And I stopped there. And then you have some weightage because I didn't tell who it was. And I, then I, after a pause, I said, this was Rumi's quote. And suddenly the weight goes up because Rumi is a famous person and is supposed to be a deep thinker. But if I say, oh, that was Joe Blow in something, you said, oh, <laughs> what is this? Yesterday he was clever. What's the difference between clever and wise? What, what nonsense is happening? Uh -huh. right? So if I say something like, stay hungry, stay foolish, I mean, remove who said it. So why would I stay angry? Why would I stay foolish? What what kind of advice is that? But if I say, when Steve Jobs said this in the uh, commencement address of uh, Stanford, he said, stay hungry, stay foolish. Now suddenly the weight increases. Mm -hmm. So first thing that any thought leader has to think, first you have to think, how do I increase the weight of what I say? Before mm -hmm. I think about what to say, the weight increases. If you, uh, if you accumulate accomplishments that are valuable, if you make contributions that are valuable. So before they go and say, let me do wordsmithing and verbal magic, I always say, how do I acc accrue and acc accumulate accomplishments and contributions? That is where the real magic is. So uh, I say that if you want to develop only one skill, it is a precursor to any of these skills, it is to develop the ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. Mm. Once you do that, you are like Santa Claus of value. So you meet someone and then you blow them off with, uh, I call it a uh, blitzkrieg of love. So basically- what? Say that again, you lost me. Blitzkrieg of love. Okay, I, I still don't know what that. Uh, Blitzkrieg is a German term for the attack from all all angles. Mm. But you can reframe it and say you can love, send love from all angles. Mm -hmm. So basically, it's a war uh, terminology where they say you surprise the enemy by attacking him from eight directions. But you can uh, it's just to win the war. But you are you win the heart. You surprise the person by sending love from all directions. Mm -hmm. So it's the same thing. You can apply it in a different play. Why war? Right? So we can have love. So my thinking is if they develop the ability 
to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to them what will they do they'll practice it as if it's like a nothing it's like a walk in the park right so then what happens if 80% of them don't reciprocate 90% of them don't reciprocate the other 10% reciprocate because you gave them a valuable gift mm-hmm. you have more power than what you will ever need in your whole life mm-hmm. because for anything to uh, complete you need capacity the capacity can come from your intelligence your hard work everything about you plus how much of excess capacity you have access to from other people who will willingly give their best because you needed it some of them will even do proactively and when you see this in action you say that guy is so lucky that girl is so lucky no they are not lucky they did their homework before now they are reaping the rewards mm-hmm. only thing is you are observing the only in the snapshot of time at that time it looks lucky but you don't know what they did before this time isn't it so my thing i am like a gardener so i call it i am a dot gardener so not any vegetables but i i garden dots what is the gardening dot means i plant mm. dots means you know steve jobs said dots will connect in the future so i said but you have to place the dots first to connect in the future so if i am a gardener of dots that means i gardener of good uh, help for people even if they never reciprocate i don't care you have enough dots in your garden there some of them will connect in the future and magic will happen mm, mm i love that that's a that's a great metaphor um you know one of the things that entrepreneurs say a lot is adding value Mm-hmm. how do i have value how do i have value and and some people use that as just like a phrase they say but if you look at their action they don't actually do it and some of the most successful quote unquote entrepreneurs or creators or just human beings in general they not only say it but they 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 be it they 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 do it and yes. uh, as a, as a, as a daily practice and it, it, if if we think about you know how much we can get quote unquote from the world as a derivative of how much value we add right let's say if i give you $100 and then i say hey give me a dollar back you're like of course you know you do that all day right <laughs> so so if we can add value as you said uh at minimum incremental cost at scale everywhere we go if we could just do that as a as a as a principle as a practice then you know the abundant life that we all desire is is going to be a foregone conclusion See, i 100% agree with you uh, the way i'll say it if i want to use my own terminology i say if you become a merchant of possibilities you are never out of work and you are ne- you're never out of your own possibilities see everybody is looking for new possibilities if you always think about them and say what new possibilities can i create because i am now in their life then automatically you will look for it like a tourist always finds what he or she is looking for if i go there into this meeting or any meeting i say what new possibilities can i create then i'm looking for the right things so uh, i call it the, the delta p delta t advantage so what is delta, delta p? t advantage is that what you said yeah delta i t love it you just coming up with terms all the time amazing <laughs> so think about it this is there are only two kinds of uh, uh, perform uh, two kinds of value that is easily recognizable and visible to the whole world one is called delta t which is the time advantage 
which is basically you are going to a destination uh, in a like a speedboat and then i come and say you know i has the latest drone which you can go and then you can reach there faster right and then that's a delta t you can go faster or delta p it's a better something better let's mm-hmm. say you are creating a engine with some certain horsepower and with no change in the cost and everything i'll make you create an engine with 1.5x of that horsepower and it's the delta p it could it could have both right so in the case of you are going through with the speedboat i can make you get there and i say ck you don't have to get there now that you have the drone you can go to a better place that means the delta p and delta t and the last one which which is not easily visible recognizable it's a delta e which is the experience because mm-hmm. most of the time when all else all else is equal the experience makes the difference it makes you stand out so what do we do so delta t delta p delta e what are in three vectors how much value can you add in one meeting you can add a lot first you should drop your own agenda that way you are very clean if i'm thinking what will i get what will i get it gets muddied because it's too much of internal processing first you say my goal is to hear the greatest of insights value that they can apply tomorrow morning then i am free because i am just thinking about anybody else who is listening to this what can they do and then when they go into a situation rather than using terms i want to add value can they add value in delta t can they add value in delta p or can they add value in delta e or a combination of these three or all of them at what extent when it is verified by a third party not you because you will always feel good about you did you have a good meeting yeah, great meeting no will the somebody else who is watching this or the recipient of that value says my god this person is so good that i am missing him in the past that means mm. i should have met this person 10 years ago 5 years ago mm. that's when you have truly added value mm. i love that uh i love that you also use terminologies like vectors and things like that it's such a mathematical geekery yes. i love it <laughs> you know i'm an engineer what can i do so basically <laughs> i am always interested in you know giving some uh, some frameworks for things that people cannot measure so like gratitude generosity value mm-hmm. there's no there's no scale that will say how much value you added but i can get a proxy so if if i add a reasonable amount of value in such a way that at the lowest level somebody says this made my day anything else that happens is a bonus that's at one end of the value creation highest value creation is oh my god why did i not meet this person years ago my life would have been different mm-hmm. within that scale you can only decide where you fall anything below that this made my day then if you st- if that response did not come but you think you added value then you are in a, you are telling a fantasy story yourself wait 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 back up one sentence one more time see basically when you truly add value it has to fall in between these two uh, sort of uh, um, experiences or responses one response is this made my day anything more good today is a bonus mm. here it's one level well, so so the question i have so uh, <laughs> lots of questions here i mean we can just focus on the whole podcast here so there is lagging indicators and and then and then leading indicators sometimes the value you add is a seed that you planted that may not blossom immediately they may not appreciate right away um so how do you know 
you know, if you actually create a value in the moment or immediately after, or do you even care about that? Do you, do you even actually, track that at all? You are a high fidelity observer. That can, that much I can tell you. Very few people observe this phenomenon. Whenever they say it, they're just, oh, this is good. But you go very, very deep, which I, which I like. See, there is always a balance of between who is who is the recipient of the value. Let's say we're adding this value to a, just a, just just now he finished college or she finished college and you are saying something. Your own expectation of how much they understand what I did to them has to be reset because suppose I introduce this college just now graduated person to somebody that will change their life forever. I know it, they don't. But I know that they don't. So I'm okay with it because I don't need to prove the value that I'm adding every single time because that's too much work. So my goal is to be on the dojo, always creating value, not expecting that this everybody will recognize it now or later or something. So as long as I know that I'm a positive possibility in the future they're creating for themselves, then I'm good. So if I am not a positive possibility in the future, they are creating for themselves, then I have to go to work. They don't have to do anything, mm -hmm. isn't it? So the younger people, they may not realize the difference between this introduction, how valuable it is for the rest of their life. And I don't have the time to uh, teach them, hey, you should not look at all introductions equal. You should know who is being introduced, what they will add, what is positive possibility in the future you are creating. They will go nuts. They say, what this person, this too much philosophy preaching. So <laughs> just do the work and let them realize the magic. Maybe two years from now, maybe 10 years from now. But I'm not attached to the result because I'm yeah. interested in more dots. Yeah. Uh, what I'm hearing is you're doing this more for you. So it's think about it. This more way. intrinsic satisfaction of adding value rather than having some kind of attachment to, oh, yes. I'm creating a hundred units of positive value with this meeting, that meeting, this meeting, that, that, that. It, because ultimately that's, you have so much abundant value creation that, you know, it doesn't matter anymore. You can just add value everywhere you go. Is that an accurate reflection of how you think about this? It is almost there. I'll tell you one, one small, um, um, let's say 1%, I'll tell you what the difference is. Okay. If you want to go, let's say we both talked about the game of Go. You want to become better at or even cricket or football or anything. If you want to get better at it, you need to play that game more. You cannot read about it and get better, isn't it? Imagine value creation is a game. How will you become better at it without playing it? Isn't it? So anytime I go to any meeting and they don't get a response in between one of these two range, which is this made my day. Everything else is a bonus on one side. Oh my God, I should have met this person long back. My life would have been different. If I don't do it, it's a reflection on me that I need to play this better. Mm. Not against anything. I'm not even competing with anybody in the world. There's enough to compete with me, myself. Why should I even worry about how, how other people are doing it? I'll only look at other people as an inspiration, not as a competition. Mm -hmm. Because my life is different. Their life is different. Who am I? What am I? It's like uh, apples to oranges. Mm -hmm. But one thing I know who I am, I know it very, very clearly. Could I have done better? That's a feedback I want. 
if I'm after I'm being 52 years in this planet, if I cannot, if I go to a meeting and cannot add enough value, shame on me. Not because somebody else will do it differently. I've read so many books. I've written 18 books. Why is that I was not thoughtful and caring that I could not create that kind of value is what I go back in my homework. Mm. I see. So you also have a daily reflection ritual where you think about your meetings, your day, your encounters with people, and then think about this question. If you didn't get this, this made my day or why didn't I meet you? Then you will reflect on how could I have done better to add more value to this particular individual? Yeah, it is just, uh, I'm, I'm examining myself that mm-hmm. maybe I was not in my, maybe I didn't prepare well. Maybe mm-hmm. I was not listen, good listener. Everything is on me because the only person I have some control on to change is me. Anybody mm-hmm. else, if I'm thinking I'm going to change somebody I met, welcome. Their spouse is trying to change them for 20 years. Parents tried to change them for like 40 years. Friends tried to change them for another 25 years. They didn't succeed. What, what am I thinking? That I'm like God to make them change? But me, I have some control on changing because I can make a change small, small, and then make it a habit. Yeah. You you mentioned a term earlier. You said a dojo, which yeah. this is the Noble Warrior podcast. We use the dojo analogy quite a lot. Right. So if we want to be better at value creation. In my mind, there are moves that you can practice to be a better uh, value creator. And, yes. and also in martial arts, there are katas, there are like mm-hmm. forms that you can practice, right? So you can, you can be better at, at value creation. In your mind, are there katas? Yeah. Are there like, like basically modules that you know has some proven effect and you just continue to hone those, those katas as you go throughout your day and then Based on the situation, you bring out specific katas to add value to the situation. What a powerful question. I just love it. So when somebody asks me a good question, my juices start flowing because very rarely somebody asks me these kind of questions. (laughs) I wish somebody else asked this question before because I had so many things to share. But without a question, I cannot say, hey, CK. You let let me tell you what questions to ask. Then I'll no, that won't be good. It will be fabricated. When you ask a question, I'll tell you more and more. See, basically, there are I'll tell you a few, for example. Mm-hmm. So um, let's say somebody comes to with me to an idea. Many times the, if the idea is bad, it doesn't matter what I say, the core idea is bad. So nothing will happen. So but now the person is so passionate about the idea. Now I have to make him revisit the idea without being defensive. So if I say something, hey, this idea is not good, suddenly I say, you know, 10 other people have told me it's a good idea. I think, let me explain it. But I always go back to the first principles. If this idea is good, if he has not made money for three years, then something has to be relooked at. Isn't it? Either he's a really bad marketer or salesperson or the idea is bad. But I cannot tell him because he's too invested or she is too invested. So I have a routine that always works. Mm. I say something like this. It was Don. I said, Don, you know, I have trouble of uh, putting putting my foot in the mouth. I say whatever I feel, 
and whatever I, my heart says, and I get into trouble because sometimes people just get upset. But in only one case, I've got like got through to people. If the person is extremely smart and thoughtful, I have no trouble telling them uh, something on their face. In this case, Don, I get that comfort feeling that you are extremely smart and thoughtful. So is it okay if I tell you what I feel? And then I tell my idea, this idea sucks. What can Don do? He's defenseless. If he tries to defend me, then he's telling, I'm not that extremely smart and thoughtful. So it cannot, I give, I, I set an identity for him that is not possible to attack me back. So that's one thing that I want, I always want to say what's on my heart. I've seen people defending themselves and when they start defending, they don't listen because they're all about winning. So I had to, that one framework where I set the person to listen first. It's very important. You can say, they're not listening. Well, you didn't do the right things for them to be able to listen. The environment has to be created to listen. So that's the first thing. Second thing is what I call outsee. To be outstanding, you need to out-execute. To out-execute, you need to out-think. But to out-think, you have to out-see. So when people are going fast, everything is a blur around them. Because once they say, uh, this idea, somebody says, pat on the back, this is good, they start running, then they become selective listeners. That means whatever is good for that idea, they listen. Whatever is bad, that's an aberration. You know, I don't have to listen to it. And they totally ignore. So I have to make them see things that will make them change the fundamentals with which we, they looked at the idea. So uh, first say this, you know, to be outstanding, you have to out-execute. Out-execute, you have to out-think. To out-think, you have to out-see. Let me give them an example. Let's say there are Lego blocks. There are um, hundred of them. You just pour them and then actually there are four more, but they went behind this book, rack, book stack. Only I can see. I can see 104. You can see only 100. Whatever said and done, I see more possibilities in the Lego blocks because I see those extra four than you can see. And when I set that up, they say, they have to ask me a question. What should I be seeing that I'm not seeing? If they ask that question, even in their mind, they don't have to literally ask me. Then I can go and show them something that they have not seen. So then they're open because they didn't, they didn't have this information. So then there's another framework. Can I show them something that they did not see, but it is material to their company? I can go on more and more, but I just wanted to say a couple of things. No, I mean, I really appreciate it. Uh, one of the things that my, one of my technique hmm. to uh, introduce idea that may not necessarily be favorably received hmm. is asking for permission. Hey, do I have permission to share something with you? And they say yes, and then it's, you know, game on. I can deliver whatever I need to deliver. But without permission, then, you know, it's easy for the defense mechanism to come up and for them to justify. So that's, that's one little technique that, that I use as a way to ask, you know, deliver. It's very beautifully said. In fact, I don't know whether you read this book, Exactly What to Say by Phil Jones. No. So that's a really good book. And he uses, similarly, he uses uh, one phrase called open-minded. 
So many people think they understand it. Sometimes once I explain it, they will know that the way they understood it may not be fully complete. So if I say a bicycle and then stop, there is an image of something that came into your mind. Definitely that image of a bicycle did not have three wheels, isn't it? Because mm-hmm. I did not say tricycle, I said bicycle. Mm-hmm. But knowing you, you probably are a mountain biker or something. You are by, it's a very different. It, everything will be the same. The two wheels, one will be in the front, one will be in the back. There is a mm-hmm. seat, it's attached. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. there's a connection from one wheel to another wheel. There's a handle, everything is same. So an organization is an arrangement of certain proper, certain certain items. Just that's all there is. But where the difference is that if you are a mountain biker and I'm a weekend warrior, I just go around here and there, our bikes from outside, for those person, people who don't know enough about bikes, we look the same. But I know that I paid like $1,000 and you paid like $7,500 because you have alloy wheels, lighter weight, and then gears. I don't have it. It's ergonomically well-designed. It's mm. designed for speed. I don't have all those things. It's the same. Look, looks the same. So a company, or an, uh, a company is just like that. It should need an organization. That means... The right people should be working on the right things. So the way I assess a company is, do they have the right organization? But what is structure? Structure is the difference in the components, the, um, the quality of the components, the nature of the components, which is if, the, if you're, it's re- ready for uh, biking on a mountain, it, need, it needs these alloy wheels. But the wheel looks the same. No, no, no. But it's alloy wheels. So it's very different. It's pricier and it's lighter. So... Both have to be right, organization and a structure, which means let's say there's building a company and then they, they are not build the product, but they hire a CMO. Then it's the wrong structure, the wrong organization and wrong structure because the CMO has nothing to do for the next two years, isn't it? But if they don't have a visual ex- experience designer, then the structure organization is missing a part. And let's say they have a junior designer and it's competing in a high, highly competitive market then they have the organization, the structure is wrong because this person needs to be a stellar UX designer, but they don't they have a junior one because they wanted to save money. So just looking at their organizational structure, you know where the gaps are. They may not mm. know it because sometimes they say, they look at so these kids work in some college stuff and so we mm. can do it. It's a very simple application. No, what you see on the outside is a reflection of the thinking inside. So mm. the thinking inside cannot be determined just by seeing from the outside. You have to ask the person, how would you approach this problem? What will what will you think when the, when you design this? So just, that's why it's easy, not because I'm smart. I just go to the first principles. And when people are saying about their company, I just go, listen, just listen, listen, listen. They themselves will tell me what is the organization? What is the structure? Where are the gaps? Mm-hmm. And then I just reflect back on them. And mm-hmm. then automatically they get enough value because they don't think in first principles because they watched uh, many times they, watched, they read the tech crunch and any of these things. Any news of any significance is usually an exception. So mm-hmm. it's not a rule because if it is a rule, they won't get into the news. So when you just are inspired by news, then you are chasing an exception as if it's a rule. That's already a blind spot. Mm. I love that. Um, I appreciate your explanation because it shows me that I need to hire a video editor 
<laughs> ASAP. Uh, so thank you for that. That's an insight that I, I wasn't expecting, but thank you for that. <laughs> See, this is the beauty of you. See, you are not only listening, you're also thinking, hmm, how does it apply to me? So that shows so many things for me. One is we're very comfortable with this model because if you are not, you cannot go switch to your own context and then you switch back to the interview because mm -hmm. you'll be thinking, oh, but I want to know the next question. No, you are very, it's a conversation. So mm -hmm. that means you have mastered the art of a conversation enough so that you can mm -hmm. give your mind a break and also reflect on your own situation and come back as if nothing happened. That's a I way to assess progress. And with you, I already, you are, I'm telling something you already know. So. Oh, I appreciate it. Um, one of the key distinction that I learned from a transformational program some time ago is who we are as human beings are the network of conversations that we engage in. Beautifully said. Yes, and, I agree. And for me, I, I struggle with that concept quite a lot because, you know, uh, for many years, I was a technologist, a PhD in biomedical engineering, you know, so I thought technology was everything. And then I slowly venture over to the podcast world. And I really had to grapple with, well, what is the value of a conversation? So it wasn't until I uh, got into podcasting, got into publishing video, you know, all these things for a few years. And I realized, hey, there's real value in one, having conversation with another human being, but two, allowing other people to eavesdrop into, you know, conversations between smart, conscious, motivated, good-hearted people. So then they can, um, how should we say, uh, take the the wisdom with them to 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 help with them with their lives, right? So there's real value in allowing people to um, get into our network of conversation that we uh, engage with each other. Beautifully said. So you know, you, you build this. If you can restrict it a little bit, because it's not all conversation. Because there are some conversation on TV that you you would you would be better off if you miss them than have see them. But the conversation that you are referring to are people, conversation with competent people with real depth in knowledge and who are willing to share. They don't have their own agenda. What happens is it's a playground of possibilities, isn't it? Because it's the perspectives are thrown and then not everything you may like, but you will pick up a perspective. One per new perspective will change the trajectory of your life, mm -hmm. isn't it? Mm -hmm. You could not see the world in this way. Mm -hmm. Now you cannot stop uh, seeing it because the world is different. Like for example, so if I say I can give you one perspective that will make you be calm forever. So is it okay if I share it? Yeah, of course. So it's like this. Anytime anything happens, because you will be calm when things are going your way. The only time you will lose your calmness is you are expecting something, something else happened. There is a mismatch in the expectation and the reality. And whenever that happens, before you blow your socks, like blow your top, no, you just think, I do a time travel because we are, unlike animals, we can do time travel. I always say, go 10 years to the, uh, for, 10 years forward. And then look back at this exact event. Let's say in my case, it was, uh, I got diagnosed with Parkinson's. I always go back 10 years forward and say, look at this, this exact moment. 
it'll be, it'll have very little value to me because it's one of those many things that would have happened. Anything for that matter, you had a fight with someone, anything. In fact, to prove that, go back 10 years before, now it's to 2022, go to 2012. And I say, CK, what is the most significant thing that happened in 2012? You'll have a hard time thinking about it because nothing will be remembered and will be that important. If that is the case, why am I blowing this out of proportion? Mm-hmm. Why, what is there to lose my mind on this? Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. nothing of significance. People cannot, many times people do not even remember one thing 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. if that is the case, 10 years from now, it's, it's all good. Um, so I have, a, I have a loving challenge for you, right? Mm-hmm. So I agree with you because I'm very much a rational thinker. I'm a systems mm-hmm. thinker. Um, however, I have experienced moments where in hindsight, you know, I was blowing off my top for no reason, really, right? Over little things because our body, our emotions in that moment experience real trauma in that moment, Mm. even though logically it didn't really like, if you look at the the actual event that happened, it doesn't matter. Like somebody passed you, somebody swing at you, whatever, somebody says some hurtful things to you in that moment it seemed like a gigantic thing in the moment. So, and it's hard for the rationalist to reconcile that because you're right, we can distance, depersonalize ourselves and look at it, you know, and travel through time scale, you know, backwards and forwards and, 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 and give a rational result. What, what you're proposing is a rational response, but in the moment, emotional response is big, is real. It may, it may yeah. not be true but is real in the moment so how do you reconcile the two you don't don't reconcile it you pattern interrupt it because you Mm -hmm. know this this is what is going to happen so Mm -hmm. you make it a habit to ask this one question anytime this happens Mm -hmm. where is the hidden rainbow where is what hidden rainbow hidden rainbow Uh you just look for something positive in this completely negative thing where is the hidden rainbow there is a hidden rainbow here Mm. i want to find it because the mind has to be occupied with things that are right for you, mm-hmm. not right for emotions will take over. When you interrupt it, then mind gets to work. Where is the hidden? I need to find something good here. Where is it? Mm-hmm. There's always something good. There's always something good. But if you're not looking for it, you will not find it. Isn't mm-hmm. it? In fact, if you think about it, your greatest moments of growth came at the greatest moments of adversity. Mm-hmm. Because that's where you learned a lot. You grew faster. Then mm-hmm. somebody loses a parent, mm-hmm. somebody lost their job. And mm-hmm. at that time, it looked like, oh, God, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. This exact time, 10 years from now, you know that it's... So mm-hmm. that's why you can manufacture this rather than wait for it to happen. How do you yep. manufacture this? You start proactively helping people who are going through this situation. Mm-hmm. What happens? Mm-hmm. Because of deep empathy, you will witness what the challenges they are going through. And you mm-hmm. want to be gen- generous. You put yourself in their shoes and start working on it. So you build the muscles of dealing with this by proactively helping other people who are going through it. Because we can't go through all the good times that other people are going through, which is what if you want to see that you can go to Facebook. where Somebody will be celebrating something, something. Collectively, you cannot do everything. So that's, that's impossible. You also won't go through all the bad things that everybody is going through. But you know that the moments of growth happened in the moments of adversity. 
somebody else is going through adversity now don't wait for them to ask for help you proactively go and say what can you do in the process you also build your strength mhm yeah i love it i'm very much you know of that mindset as well uh hence why i seek out challenges like spartan race yes. ayahuasca ceremonies right uh, things like that cuz i it's not like i i'm a i'm a i'm a masochist i enjoy pain i don't find it pleasurable but for me the meaning that i derive from it the exactly. growth the the insights the lessons i optimize my life for growth for lessons for insights 100% i so, see that so 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 it's 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 a automatic muscle that i have these days is um you know what is the lesson in this mm. and and also uh recently uh i have taken on this mantra only joy so mm. so how do i find joy in adversity how do i find just cuz life is lifing all the time how do i mm. find joy in the highlights how do i find joy in the low lights that to me is a muscle that i want to cultivate in my life as a way to live a more not only purposeful but joyous life it's a very interesting so for me joy has to be a default setting for people so which means see, so one cannot find joy outside we know that because joy is an mm-hmm. internal response mm-hmm. so, so let's say mm-hmm. we are, we decide to be joyful from now forever mm-hmm. who has the capability to disturb our peace nobody mm-hmm. because it's 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 my choice mm-hmm. to be joyful or not is a mm-hmm. personal choice mm-hmm. and once you made it it's forever mm-hmm. just like you don't every day brush your teeth nobody is checking hey today brush your teeth yes or mm-hmm. no no nobody checks it's my choice mm-hmm. i want to brush my teeth morning evening it's good like mm-hmm. that it's a 24 by 7 if i'm waking up i am joyful nobody can stop it Mm-hmm. I mean, it will look artificial if some really tragedy happens. So, of course, you there are moments of it. That, that's why every rule has an exception. So there mm-hmm. are some exceptions, but joy should not be the exception that you search for. Joy should be the rule that you live by. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. Um, it's my new religion, 2022. Yes. <laughs> And also, if you think about only it, joy. Yes. if anybody meets you it it comes out even without you speaking a word because the inner peace is always displayed in the external world you you wear the inner peace whether you are disturbed joyful you just show up and people know yeah you, you have some level of inner peace that is uncommon i'm sure people have said told you this mhm yeah calmness yes yes i'm very calm Um thank you for this. So let me ask you a question. All right, so let's segue a little bit because you had mentioned I don't need scale. I'm interested in building relationships, right? So your content that you put out since for years and years actually I remember you talk about blogging 2012, right? For my research. So you've been constantly generating content. So tell me about how do you balance generating content and also building relationships because our mm-hmm. mutual friend Esprit she said 9010 she said mm-hmm. uh 90% is relationship building for her outreach to specific people and then 10% is just content so that's her sort of internal metrics how do you think about generation of content and also the effort to build relationships uh, first of all i don't connect the two 
because uh-huh. i am a writer i write uh-huh. every single day whether i publish or not i write every day since mm. i was 10 years old i have written at least one page every single day mm. so and i lot of it is for my own satisfaction so and i reflect every day and all the content that i generate comes because i am involved in some project helping someone for money or no money so i need some lesson that i think if i abstract it out some some other people somewhere in the world might find value from there mm-hmm. right so basically it's all about by doing what am i observing if i observe a little bit more with higher fidelity what insight can i generate that i can share and i'm not expecting million people to read because i don't need million people so once they reach it it will make somebody say aha i didn't think of it isn't it so and i'm involved in content generation uh, every day and then i'm involved in solving problems every day i'm involved in teaching someone something all three will be a good virtuous cycle so like if i'm teaching what will people say like somebody like you will ask me really deeper questions that will help me in uh, generating better content because i go back and rewatch this interview hmm. see ki asked me this question did i do the right job what else could i have said now in my new blog post or somewhere i'll do it and then when i'm solving problems i get deeper insight just reading what i wrote and say hmm, have i applied this why have i not applied this if i do apply it because i have enough people who are i'm mentoring so there are enough projects to use my content and see if it works in real life if it does not work in real life or if it works in real life i get more more bang for the bucks like my content is more stronger my teaching is far better my execution is far better the trifecta always works i love it so you have a daily writing practice you have a daily publishing pl- practice as well you publish no. every day you don't no, always i used to do that when i was 2005 when i started blogging i used to say uh, every day i will write and i did it well but then i thought you know what is my purpose my purpose is to create more value sometimes mm. it is better that if i get an idea i try it execute it through one or more of my companies i am involved in and i hone it and keep betting better and better and better and then i publish it. like for example i am i was working on a project called why do some people get help and some, most people don't most people don't get the help they are looking for mm-hmm. and i said it depends on what is called helpability helpability yeah i oh my gosh you're just amazing i love it so i came up with the helpability score so basically yeah. i said if how do how do how does somebody assess whether they are helpable or not they should have a metric so and there's no metric with there's no scale liters meters kilometers nothing right so i made up my own score so i was going strong on it and until one of my friends sterling who is a dear friend you know he's also going through parkinsons he's an amazing internet marketer he said raj this is good but it's one of those nice terms that you generated but come on this has to be easier than that i said what do you mean he said you know nobody will say hmm, you didn't get the help because you are not your helpability score is less that looks so artificial i said what do you have in mind he said this think of a conversation somebody just didn't get the help they need and then uh, you say something like this maybe you you are you had a bad ask you should make a good ask if you make a good ask you will get better help what was the I word you used what was the word uh, bad ask versus good ask a bad ask good ask yes. uh-huh uh-huh so uh-huh. i immediately switched it and pushed the helpability into the background 
and uh, i said you know how the art of making good asks to get what you deserve you have to make a good ask and i that came up with the framework banger framework. i love it oh my god because gosh. the helpability is still there but it's hidden inside yeah 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 huh so i learn and uh, so rather than publishing it i'm still defining and i say i'll teach this to some people and i say let me show you how to make a good ask and there are like nine it. different uh, uh, elements how to work through the element the framework and everything but if i mm. had the temptation to publish the helpability soon then i would it would not be tested enough mm. i love it man um so many i mean number one i, I definitely want a copy of the book when it comes out so definitely yeah please please send them to to me and i'll i'll, I'll ask all of my uh audience to to buy it yes so hmm. and i say you know what because i'm 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 in love with words right i said if you practice good asks you will be a badass if you stay with bad asks either it will be bad or you'll stay as an ass like <laughs> it's kind of like it reminds me of this quote the quality of a life depends on the quality of the question that we ask 100%. so you can say something similar right the quality of our life depends on the quality of ask that you yes. have of yourself of others of the world of god depends on 100%. the quality of ask that you have you know what i've observed is if you make a really good ask the ask will not even look like an ask it look like you're presenting an opportunity for the other person mm -hmm. yep so yep. that's where the ultimate ask is one where you're presenting mm -hmm. an opportunity mm -hmm. the mm -hmm. side effect of that person signing up for the opportunity is that you get what you want mm -hmm. they get what they deserve both of you get what they what you deserve the best entrepreneurs that i know operate like that what you just mm -hmm. said Cause it's not like, Hey, can you do like the bad ask would be, I don't know. I want this, do it. Right. That's a really, really bad ask. A better one would be, uh, Hey, could I, you do me a favor? Like, so you're doing some kind of favor, some, some, you know, social currency happening, but the best kind of ask is, Hey, I have an opportunity and I'll pay you this. You, you do it, you get money and then da, 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 da. everyone feels good about it. It's, it's like, of course. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> people jump on yeah. it. So, the, so the if you have, if you have some kind of training or methodology to help yeah. people get to that, and that's money right there. See, if you think about it, all you have to do is everybody is going somewhere in their life by default, isn't it? They're going somewhere. Your ask has to be in alignment with where they're going, but by engaging with this, their own path becomes better or even uh, faster. But this, ah, I didn't think of that. I would have done this for free. You are paying me money. It's like a bonus kind of thing. But mm -hmm. if you make your want a collection of side effects of everybody else doing their default stuff, then you make, you make magic happen on a daily basis because everybody is doing something. A side effect of it, you are collecting and you are just mixing and matching and you create a masterpiece. Then you are not mm -hmm. even asking, isn't it? It just happens. You just become a choreographer of those various things that other people would have done anyway. I mean, if you think about it, that's the, the, how movement got started. Yes. Right. The declaration of independence. Hmm. That's, 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 that's an ask. That's like yes. declaring 
you know, life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Who wants that? You know, join us. Yeah. Boom, right there. I have a dream. It's an ask. It's it's a it's yeah. a beautiful ask, nonetheless. You know that yeah. this is the vision of my children and 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 you know, black family, white family coming together and sharing a meal. It's yeah. a beautiful ask. It's a vision that's very Correct. rolling. Yeah, in the uh, just to double click on the life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. So. Again, the last one is the double-edged sword, the pursuit of happiness. So if the people think they have to pursue happiness, then that's where the marketers will hijack their mind. Because then they will show things. This vacuum cleaner, if you don't have it, you should be unhappy because it's dark and dingy and everything. Once you have it, voila, there is light everywhere and your house is clean. No, you don't need anything. So see, the moment you believe it, now until you have that vacuum cleaner, you are unhappy. That's where we have to be so careful when you say pursuit of happiness. Is You don't need to pursue anything. That's why, how, how are the minimalists happy? They're, they don't have anything. In fact, I was uh, listening to an interview of one minimalist where he was, uh, he, was he carries everything in a backpack. And uh, the person was like, is there anybody who is more minimalist than you? He said, yeah, there is. I said, how is it even possible? He said, this person, like uh, Rick from Australia, he goes from one country to another country without anything. He said, you won't carry clothes? No. He goes there and he goes to a thrift store and he buys the clothes. And when he is leaving the country, he gives back it to the store and then asks them to give it to charity, something. So <laughs> there is people. And he's, is he happy? Yes, because there's nothing to maintain. Zero. Yeah. So the moment people see, you know, people always copy what is convenient for them, isn't it? When you give yeah. an advice, uh, like for example, Steve Jobs, rather than copying his attention to detail and his innovativeness, they'll copy. He was screaming and all those things. Mm. So, so slice of his life mm. by screaming and being tough on your employees, nothing will happen unless you also have everything. Either you copy as a whole and not copy that's easy to copy, easy to implement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So pursuit of happiness, life, liberty, and pursuit, good. But you can always question and say, I'm already happy. There's yeah. To, pursue. To, to, to that point, um, personally, this is my personal opinion, and this may be a hearsay <laughs> to the, the hardcore uh, nationalists of a you know, declaration of independence. I think the word pursuit of happiness mm. imply that you don't have it. Hence why uh, you need to pursue it. Right. I so, so I, for me, the more accurate terms would be an expression of your joy. Mm. Like, Beautiful. because, because you already have it, as you said, right. It's intrinsic. You already have it. How do you make your life an expression of your joy? So life, mm. liberty, and an expression of your joy to me is more accurately described versus a pursuit of happiness i'm 100 percent with you in fact if you see life liberty and pursuit of happiness says you should have a bias for action that means you have to act to get that happiness but if you change the bias to contribution things go very different mm -hmm. you, have, you can have a bias for action or you can have a bias for contribution the way you look at life is very different when you have a bias for action rather than when you have a bias for contribution like you mm. said, life, liberty, and expression of joy. You can say life, liberty, and spreading of joy because I have so much mm. in abundance. Mm. 
Mm. I want to spread joy. Imagine every single person in this country says, my goal is to spread joy. Mm. Not every single person, even 10% of the, even 1% of the problem is solved. Newspapers will have no business because they are only spreading fear and uncertainty and like <laughs> blowing out of proportion. But they will not know what to do. Um, man, I can go on forever. Do you have a little, a little bit more time to go a little longer? Is that cool? I have all the time in the world. Awesome. Thank you so much. So let's, let's focus, bring back to the, f um, how you build relationships online or, or offline really, because you make your content. That's part of your, um, ritual. That's what you do. And you're a teacher at heart. I could tell, right. You can't help it. You're teaching all the time, right? Even this conversation, you're teaching me a lot. So thank you. So talk about relationships. And, and I'm asking this question, you know, selfishly for me, because I don't actively do outreach. <laughs> So when I hear Esprit says 10 and 90, I'm like, what, you know, I don't, I don't do that. And then I'm doing this as, as my way of cultivating relationship with people that I admire. So how do you go about building relationships in a very strategic, in a very, uh, but also organic way? So now that we know each other very well, I'll tell you something. If you don't do outreach organically, the world is suffering. I'll tell you, yeah. I'm not using the words just like willy-nilly. The reason is somebody as thoughtful as you is waiting for somebody to be transformed because you are not comfortable reaching out, mm. robbing people of opportunity. And mm. I, I know it's being recorded, so I'm, I'm okay to be have this in record. Mm -hmm. So what happens if every CKL in thousand of them chose this? You know, I'm not comfortable outreach. Almost every episode on your podcast is amazing because you are a very thoughtful, a curious person. So somebody like you, whether you're comfortable or not, should market. Why? Because it's, it's a gift to the world. Mm. So you may not be comfortable, then hire a marketer. Who mm. cares? Because if you don't get amazing stuff marketed, there's, they're busy with Netflix and uh, see whatever new news channel they're watching. Mm. They need interruption in a good way. Interruption is good if it is good, high value, relevant, and timely content. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. almost it doesn't matter what you feel or what you care. If you think it's good, the content, you owe it to yourself and the world that you go and get it out, whatever it takes. Who mm. cares what many people think? This CK used to be good. Now he's all, all over the place. He's doing this. <laughs> but really, if it was not good, you should not market. It's mm. prime. But if it is good and not marketing, it's also a crime, mm. isn't it? It's mm. a different kind of crime, isn't it? If somebody needs this right now, but you know what, CK, I'm not comfortable marketing. That's not fair, isn't it? Okay. So that's something to think about. Point so taken. Point it's, taken. It's important that the right content reaches the right people. Mm. And you know that people need to see it so many times before they say, ah, I'm going to watch CK's podcast. Mm. It's not like murder mystery or something. Well, what happened? Who is the killer? And all? No, <laughs> it requires attention. It requires work. So mm. the transformation is slower. That means we have to work harder to mm. make these people just pay attention. Mm. And then they come in once and then again, they're interrupted by the next uh, like uh, gray man or something and they're out. Now we have to bring them back. 
So one thing is, so there's something to think about that whether you're comfortable or uncomfortable, it really doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This the world is the world going to be a better place if this content reaches different people. You so, that it's yes. So point taken. I will. Re I received the coaching. Thank you for that. What do you do to actively do it? Do you think? Hold on one second. My echo is talking to me. Echo, stop. Yeah. <laughs> I know. She agrees <laughs> with you. <laughs> so, um, what do you do in terms of managing relationships, outreach? Yeah. Um, especially giving all your teachings, all your books, everything that you do. Yeah. Typically, I have a few principles in mind. So I always think uh, if the if, if there is a right kind of help, I always think I should give them the right kind of help either through me or somebody that I know, mm -hmm. but in a mutually beneficial fashion. When it comes to me, I don't care about mutual beneficial. I care about whether it's benefiting them. If I'm introducing someone, I'm always caring about mutual benefit. Why? Because they don't know each other and it should not be an imbalance in relationship, isn't it? So I, I always think. So my, my, uh, my life, I've kept it very simple. I only have three kinds of relationships, long-term, very long-term and lifetime. So I always uh, I like default it. to <laughs> lifetime relationships. Why? Because that's a hack for myself. When I have a lifetime relationship, I don't have to worry about ups and downs. I don't have to test them. I don't mm. have to see, oh, they're a lifetime relationship. Should I de-promote de them to the long, very long-term? No. It's once you, somebody is in your heart, you don't have to worry about things. Mm. Second, I'm a low-maintenance relationship person. That means I always tell people that with you, with me, you don't have to worry about keeping in touch. Mm. It's not based on frequency. So mm. let's say you disappear for five years and start call me on five years later. The length and the strength and depth of the relationship will be exactly the same. Mm. And you think you can't do it? You ask my friends. They'll call me five certain. It'll be the same because I choose it to be like that. Mm. Because if it is a high maintenance, now they have to keep thinking. Mm, I have to keep in touch with Rajesh. Oh, I have to keep. Why have the burden? Just leave them. Give them the freedom because it's not based on the frequency. Second, I don't remember their birthdays, anniversaries, or anything. Always remember what does this person care about, and mm. where is this person going. If I remember only those two things, I'm always looking for opportunities for them mm. in the way that I can care about what they're caring about and I can add some value in the in where they are going and what they are becoming. So it becomes easy for me. So And I don't expect anything back by God's grace. I don't need anything. If something comes, I treat it as a gift. But if something doesn't come, I was not expecting anyway. So every day it will be full of surprises for me, positive surprises. Somebody send me something, some, it's all more than what I need. So mm. uh, if, when you have that no expectation kind of relationship, half the problem is solved because there's no need to keep score, mm. isn't it? I love that. That's a abundance mindset right there, right? Because the only reason why one would keep score is there's a scarcity mindset, right? What's mine? What's yours? Let's make sure that da, 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 yeah. it's equal, fair, equitable, this and that. but when you're coming from an abundance mindset, then you don't you don't track score. However, so I have a loving challenge in your way. <clears throat> the strength of a relationship, my perspective, is based on how much you invest into it. 
So therefore, yes, there could be a five-year break with no deterioration, right? No, no, no decay of the value. However, to elevate, right, the the depth of the relationship, one needs to invest into it, right? It's an account that both of you, you know, invest into it. So, I'm curious to know your perspective around the not, maybe not a regular frequency, but frequency in investment, nonetheless. What do you what do you say to that? It's a very good point. So I always think the investment is uh, is if it is based on input, then it's a different matter. If it's based on outcome, so remember I said you need to pro- ability to give meaningful gifts at scale at a very low incremental cost to you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. My cost of investment, I can design it to be very small, as long as the value of that investment outcome to the other person, the gift to the other person is very high. Uh-huh. So. So it's, it's anything at scale, it's very easy. Like for example, if I want to give away somebody my course, what did it really cost me? Think about it. Incremental mm-hmm. cost is one click. Mm-hmm. But if the course is really worth thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. then it's valuable to the other person. Mm-hmm. So by having tools of value scaling, mm-hmm. you can change that metric to your advantage. So basically, if you know exactly how to create to connect two people that both will thank me for that later, that thoughtfulness is is another tool to value scaling. Like last year, I introduced, uh, I made about 450 introductions. Previous year to that, I made 700 introductions. So wow. now, did it did it take time? Yes. The first year when I heard this concept from uh, Tim Sanders, it was in 2003. Mm-hmm that you, you can generate value by making valuable introductions. Mm-hmm. I asked him, how many introductions do you make? Because he said, why do you ask? He said, no, I just uh, I'm settling in this country. I, I have 25 people. They all know each other. So what should I do? He said, he laughed and said, you should start wherever you are. Uh, I don't know whether you like this answer, but I make about 300 introductions a year. I said, mm-hmm. really? That's almost one a day. He said, I told you, you may not like the answer, but mm-hmm. it's what it is. I said, hmm, what about other people who are very good in building relationships? Yeah, they may make more, but I'm only at 300. <laughs> so I just came back thinking, what a hill to climb. I am making one introduction a year. This person is making 300 introductions a year. That was in 2003. It took me about uh, 11 years to reach that 300 number. Mm-hmm. So per year, but once you're there, you just become it's a part of your life. Like when mm-hmm. you meet this somebody new, I always think, hmm, who all should CK meet? What kind of people should CK interview? Who in my network will give so much value to their readers? You didn't ask me for introductions, but it's my default setting. How can I amplify what CK is doing? Because that's the way I look at life, mm-hmm. and it becomes easy. Mm-hmm. Do you use it, so tactically speaking, do you use like a CRM or things like that or just in your, your memory? I never, never used a CRM. No plans wow. to use a CRM. Wow, amazing. Amazing. That's awesome. Because uh, I don't need anything more. I don't need their birthdays, anniversaries. Very rarely anybody will get a call on their birthday. But uh-huh. if there is something of value, they will hear from me. And the way I look at things is whenever I make a phone call, Am I making it for me or for them? Mm. Nine out of 10 phone calls have to be for the other person. Only Mm. one out of 10 should be for me. If that Mm. ratio changes, then something is wrong. I'm not doing something right. 
Yeah, your 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 identity as a value creator is very strong. So you're yes. you know you want to give value at all times. That's a beautiful right. thing. I, I love it. Um, okay, so on your LinkedIn profile, you wrote, "I'm a work in progress," meaning yes. I guarantee my work by lead the progress to God. So let's talk about God a little bit, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. See, basically, I'm always worried about my ego taking over. So mm. I never want to think that I've done something, this and that and everything. But in my heart of heart, I always believe that I'm a work in progress. Because in this interview, just now, you asked me a few questions that nobody has ever asked. I already made a note. I have to come back to this section. And then I made a note of what times it is. And then I go back and not only I write down better answers, I also discuss with my mentors, what could I have done here better? Because it's whenever there's a tool of leverage, I have to treat it with care because it's multiplier effect, isn't it? If I do a good job, when, when there is multiplier effect, it multiplies in value. So these thoughtful questions that you asked, I think I gave a reasonably good answer, but it's not the best because I can go back and revisit some of them. And I have to do it because otherwise I'm not doing justice to myself, isn't it? That's why I always say work in progress. And I can, uh, at this point in time, this was the best answer I could give. No, if I thought through, I could give a better answer. So I always say, this is what it is. And the progress is left to God. It is because any progress we make, to think that we alone were making that progress will be a faulty thinking. Because so many things have to come right. Like for this, the system that we're using, StreamYard should be working right. The camera should be working right. Somebody should, the internet should not be off. Somebody should be calling. So many things have to happen. And if you both think we both made it happen, that's a fallacy. So I always think there is God or whatever. If they don't, people believe, don't believe in God, there's something out there. Whatever it is, it's higher power. That is make, that's bless this and said, let this be a good uh, conversation. So I always mm. think, thank, thank you for that opportunity. So that keeps me, with the ego, ego is checked, and I love it. I mean, in your explanation, it just shows me the you know your commitment to the effort. Yes, you're gonna make your effort, your honest effort, and then you also are not attached to the outcome, to the progress. Yes, to the thing because you know that you have put forth your best effort, and that's only that's that's the only thing we could do. We can't yeah. control. Other people, we can control the greater universe. We can control the greater society. You know, the only thing we have control over is our attention and also our effort. Exactly. See, you talked before about everything is a conversation. There are two things that will that will make a big difference in anybody's life: the kind of projects they undertake and the kind of conversations they engage. So, look at one of both of them in one one minute. The kind of projects decides and determines the kind of conversations you will have. If you work on a big project that is solving something bigger than what it is, like a mental health or anything, automatically there will be more people who will come to support. There are more people who will say yes, more better conversations. And if you think about conversation, there are only two kinds. One is with external conversations. Second is internal conversations. If you look at external conversations, there are only three kinds. So it's basically, you know, in the in the in the temporal way, there is about past, present, and future. 
there can't mm. be anything else you can't talk about any other temporal space other than past present and future mm. and if you do the reframe properly about the past you can have regrets or you can take insights and use the power about the present you can talk about the the, the gratitude of, of this i am here whatever got me here i'm grateful for it and then i'll do something and about the future you can have fear uncertainty or you can have reimagination this is the mm-hmm. future everybody is imagining what am i imagining so if you control these two on the external it's even easy if you control who you are having conversations with the right people will guide the conversation right anyway mm-hmm. internally is where the problem is if nobody the monkey mind will take over and always think about he should not have done this and somebody says that i said how important is this he you are talking about no not very important then why is he taking over your life the person is not even important is why do you give so much attention people forget that if the person is not important in their life why do they give so much importance to what he or she said it makes no sense but if they you don't check it then it's a problem so i always think every thought is a paying guest so that means if a thought enters my mind it has to pay me something Mm. I'm giving them real estate space. Mm. If the paying guest comes and starts demanding from the landlord, then it's not good. Mm. Isn't it? So I say, oh, am I paying this thought? I send them an eviction notice. Go away oh. because I'm not paying for anything. Mm. Thoughts have to pay me. So mm. people uh, always say, you know, you should uh, not write anything on the internet that you don't want to. It has to be permanently captured. I said, if you don't even think about bad things then there's nothing to write you mm. curtail it at the thought level you don't wish bad for anyone then there's nothing to write isn't it you forget about then you can write whatever you want because you're sure that the intention is pure then what is there to worry about yeah so segue and this would be probably the last question or the last couple of questions um as a technologist as a teacher as an author as a creator what platforms excite you the most about reaching the kind of people who will resonate with you say there are two answers to that question one is mm-hmm. that i'm always about curated anything curated i always like because um uh, say for example if i take uh, um what would be a good example like for example harvard business review for example mm-hmm. so for those kinds of project i know that everything is curated there is n number of people who have vetted it and everything when i read something i don't have to worry about the source uh, or i don't have to worry about uh, is will, will this be of value to me so for example take your own podcast after listening to four or five of them i put them in the list now i know that any time i want to hear i just click one i don't care who you are talking to i know that there is value there so like for example farnam street knowledge project so i know that it will always be good it doesn't matter who we so i am about all about curation so wherever there is curated thing like for in the newsletters there is a person called janel i don't know whether you have heard of her tiny something so i look forward to that newsletter because it's a very short newsletter but she has something called whatever she found interesting so i say oh this is a discovery platform so mm. the newsletter i look at it what did janel find interesting 
so i always look and say it's it's my hack to gain capacity at scale without mm. having to spend this so much of incremental cost well but that that wasn't quite the question that I asked, right? I ask not so much from the consuming aspect. Oh of yeah, it, yeah, from the creation aspect. From the creation aspect, of it, which oh, platform yeah. do you use as a way to reach the kind of people who were yeah. more likely to resonate with you? See, I'm always uh, see. There, there is an implication that I use a platform of uh, which is online to reach people. Mm -hmm. I'm very big on you know. I'm very old school. So some of the things that you know this uh, you you saw the I don't know whether you saw this thing the mm -hmm. greeting cards mm -hmm. it is still very manual so and uh, everything that there are so many books that are manual like this was the first think book that I created mm. and if you see I use it as a notebook but if you open it there is stuff that will make people think mm, 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 mm. so it's all written. So I'm always be, be, believing that people somehow have forgotten the offline value. But I always like offline more than online because mm. there is some, uh, it's very difficult to multitask with a book. Mm. What do you do? I mean, I'm, you cannot run around, but online, it's easy to, somebody else is one click away from grabbing attention. Mm -hmm. So I use all the online tools, all the LinkedIn and Twitter and all those things to test ideas. But sooner than later, I want something in physical, where there is people, serious stuff has to be, it has to have some physical aspect to it. Mm, mm, mm. I know Beautiful. it's really, really old school, but I have to say it. No, no, it's not old school at all. I, I love it. You know, author who loves books, you know, yes. who, of course, <laughs> that's obvious. You know, there are so many opportunities that are like, I, I have a site called Napkin Sites, which is inside mm -hmm. that can fit on a paper napkin. At some point, there will be actual physical napkins that will have pattern interrupts. Mm. So they will be there because think about it. There are paper napkins everywhere. There are probably a billion being used every day. Mm. And then there is white paper napkin ready to be making a change in somebody's life. And we lost that opportunity, isn't it? Yeah. Napkins is a, as a knowledge transfer medium. I love it. Yes. We can change somebody's thinking one paper napkin at a time like that. Mm. Rajesh, um, I so appreciate Esprit introduced us. Yes. Uh, I'm very inspired by just your passion for life, your equanimity, your ability to maintain a growth mindset, whatever life throws your way, Parkinson's or not. Um, I appreciate your creative mind yeah how much you know actively creation that you do every day 18 books and you're still going strong this is not the end of Rajesh this is only the beginning I just love it thank you so much for sharing your story your wisdom your mental models and and to be able to dance in this conversation with me I so much enjoyed this conversation that I'll be the first person to watch, rewatch this and then say, we're all I can improve and then I'll come back stronger. That's, uh, you gave me the gift of a few questions. I can't ask for anything more. And so much, so much of gratitude goes to Esprit because we were there in the same class. We would not have met because we both are introverts. That's uh -huh. our problem. <laughs> so uh, that, that got changed because Esprit said, I know you both will not meet on your own. Here is the introduction like that. There you go. I love it.
Well, with that said, have a great rest of the day, guys. And then, well, we'll be in touch soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and inspire you on your journey towards purpose. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a full rundown of this episode with all the important links at noblewarrior.com forward slash episode number. And also make sure to share this with a friend and subscribe on Apple Podcasts as well. I really love hearing feedback from you. So share a review on Apple and let me know what part of this podcast episode resonated with you the most. Remember, your higher self constantly points you towards your purpose. And now is the time to take action towards that.